Hey, Next on the Teen Nation, thanks for tuning in to this segment of the show. I really appreciate all your support. If you're enjoying the show, please go online to podcastmagazine.com and vote for us in their Hot 50 list. You'll see a tab to vote right there on their homepage. Stay up to date with our guest schedule by going online to nextonthetea.net. I really appreciate you. Enjoy the segment. Before we get started, I want to remind you about our friends over at the Macklemore. As you guys know, my buddies and I, we were up there for our annual golf trip, and it was simply amazing. Everything about the place is first class. We had great accommodations. The practice facility that they have up there is fantastic. Their on-premise restaurant, which is called The Craig, has outstanding food and service. And the course lived up to every great expectation that we had for it. I can't say enough great things about the Macklemore. Folks, go online to themacklemore.com to see how spectacular the place is for yourself. The golf course is co-designed by our good friends Bill Bergen and Reese Jones. And our friend and PGA Tour caddy Kip Henley said, Outside of Pebble Beach, it's the most beautiful 18th hole he's ever seen. And Golf Digest agreed, oh, by the way, naming it the best finishing hole in America since 2000. See why we're all saying how great it is by checking out the course and the resort online at themacklemore.com. And folks, this segment of the show is brought to you by our friends at TaylorMade and their TP5 and TP5X golf balls. High draw, check. Low fade, check. Bump and run out of the sander flop shot, check, check, and check. No matter what shot you've got to pull off, there's one ball that's better than them all, and that's the all-new TP5 and TP5X from TaylorMade. With their newly redesigned dimple pattern that decreases drag and increases lift, it's the number one ball in golf no matter the shot. So whether you need to hit the ball high over the trees, under, or maybe even through them, hit TP5 or TP5X, the one ball designed to handle it all. Check them out online by going to tailormadegolf.com for more information. All right, now back at Next on the Tee with me as our resident director of instruction, Tom Patrick. For everyone up in Virginia, West Virginia, or the Washington, D.C. areas, go see Tom at Farmington Country Club in Charlottesville, Virginia, and become the next student that Tom coaches up to a championship level. If you can't go see Tom in person, download the V1 video app and send Tom videos of your golf swing through that app. He can help get you dialed in. Please check out his website, TomPatry.com, and give him a follow on Twitter and Instagram, at TomPatryGolf. Don't forget to subscribe to his new YouTube channel, where you can check out nearly 200 free playing lessons and videos that he's got available for you on there. As you guys know, Tom is also a member of the Titleist Leadership Advisory Board, and it's always great having him as part of the show. TP, how are you, my friend? Pretty boy. <laughs> TP, how are you, my friend? It's been almost a month since the last time you were on the show, which I think is coincidental to the last time your New York Yankees won a baseball game. How's it been going for you, my friend? Sorry, I couldn't hear you. What did you say? <laughs> There's that selective hearing again. How are you, Tom? So, just, you know, we're coming down the stretch here, and you, you could get hurt. I could get hurt, but it's not over yet, man. So just be, just be careful, man. You might get stung, right? You don't want to get stung. <laughs> I understand. Nothing's over until it's over. You guys you guys taught the world that when we uh, came back from three games to none down in 2004. Nothing is over until it's over. If something happens here right at the end and you get stung, you will be getting a phone call. You know that. Okay, just be careful. A <laughs> uh, couple of things, couple, couple quick ones. Congratulations on the uh, on the number eleven spot from forty four to eleven. Man, how awesome is that? Now, really seriously. No, absolutely. Um, Th- thanks to all the listeners and all the supporters out there. I mean, they they made it happen, not me. So I appreciate it very much. 
That's incredible. I'm so, I'm so happy for you. It's so awesome. And we just cracked that. Let's make sure we crack that top 10 now, everybody. Make, make sure you vote this for you in. And then you, you might as well stop telling people to come see me at Farmington because I'm under a moat now and I'm out of here. So it's, it's time to head south, man. I'm you know, getting chilly. I'm old. I need warm weather. Somebody <laughs> head south very soon. Yeah. Tell them where they can find you down south. Well, we can get into that. Everybody knows. You know where I am. Yeah, I'll just, just, just whatever. It doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, let's talk about, All right. Let's talk about you. You like to talk about you. Let's talk about you. Let's talk about the tour championship, Tom. I want to start off by getting your uh, thoughts. I want to go back a little bit and get your thoughts on the tour championship and what we saw from Patrick Cantlay's big victory there. And, and, um, I don't know. Should we call that a win? Because, I mean, if it were a regular tournament, we know John Rahm and Kevin Na would have actually finished in a tie and gone to a playoff. But thanks to that staggered thing they do, uh, Cantley gets the win. Your thoughts on what you saw at the tour championship? So I, I have very mixed emotions about that. I, I, the staggered thing is just, is just staggering to me. It just it doesn't make any sense. I don't understand it. I don't understand the premise. I don't understand why they did. I don't want, I want to know what Knucklehead sat in the room and came up with that and convinced everybody to go, yeah, that was a great idea. I think that's a good idea. I wanted to be in that room when they said that. So that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. But there's nothing to do with golf. But that being said, that Sunday back and forth on that back nine between those two guys was, I mean, I don't get to watch tournament golf that much on Sundays, and I got to watch that. And I, I was so entertained and so into that back nine. So many great shots hit back and forth. You know, Cantley, you know, it, you know, listen, you're in a situation now. Forget the stag start. He hit some incredible shots, made some incredible clutch putts. I think he kind of wore Bryson out with some of the putts he made actually warmed down. But it, it was fun to watch. It was exciting. It was really exciting. And Tom, I know we've talked about this a few times leading into the tour championship. Like, who's the player of the year? Uh, who had the best season of all? And we talked about it being perhaps between Colin Morikawa and John Rahm. And, uh, we know what, what a great season Rahm had, major championship. He, he had this year sort of, sort of, uh, Morikawa, but Rahm with the top tens and all of them, including the players championship, seemed like a guy in my mind was a shoe-in to win the Player of the Year award. It ends up going to, to Cantley, who won three times plus the Tour Championship. But we, but one of those wins, one of those three was the Memorial, and we know that John Rahm probably wins that golf tournament be, before COVID comes out, or uh, he tests positive to COVID, and they, they give him the result, and that six-stroke lead he would have had going into the final round evaporates, and then Cantley goes on to get a win there. I don't know, your, your thoughts, Cantley, is he, the, is he the Player of the Year, or do you like Rahm or Morikawa? I, I would have said toss up between Rahm and Cantley. Um, and, and that's not, that's not throwing Colin under the bus because he had a wonderful year as well. Um, you know, it's funny. I, it becomes a little bit of a popularity contest with that, with the players' vote. Just, and I think it's, uh, if, if it is a pop- popularity contest, then, then, then you know who's more popular among the players. You know? So the personality comes into it sometimes. I think that you almost have to turn that into a point system thing. Um, of some kind and, and take the, uh, and take the popularity part out of it. Um, you know, I almost thought for a little while they were going to, they were going to declare co, co players of the year, you know, for the first time. Um, it's a toss up, you know, it's a toss up. I, you know, I mean, obviously it always seems that the guy who does the dramatic thing at the end has the edge. 
Cantley obviously got hot at the right time and was more in the uh, in everybody's mind's eye, you know, when 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 the voting was going on. So that that probably gave an edge. I I think the whole memorial thing, and I, I'm not a John Rom fan particularly, but I think the whole memorial thing was was a really you know tough tough pill to swallow for anybody who cares about professional golf. Um, that was just a bad deal. I mean, it was just a you know, it was the guy would not have no way the guy would have lost that golf tournament, no way in the world. He's too good of too good of a front runner and too good of a pressure player. And you flip that tournament around and give it to Rum instead of Cantley, and everything's and everything's different, right? It's completely different. So, I think this one, in my mind, will go down with an asterisk next to it. You know, I'll never be able to really. Uh, and I'm a Patrick Cantley fan, but I don't think he was. Uh, I have to give the edge probably if you think about it and put all the chips on the table to Rum. Tom, we're obviously in Ryder Cup week and want to get your thoughts not only on the Ryder Cup, but the Solheim Cup as well. The European team continues to show its dominance against us. They win the Solheim Cup 15-13 thanks to getting off to a three and a half to a half lead in Saturday foursomes, which seems to be a format we're just not that good at. I mean, the singles matches were a wash. They, they finished six and six in the final day. I mean, you, you send this thing out to the to the junior Solheim matches, and we lose that one as well, thirteen to eleven, because we get beat in the singles nine to three. And here we are in the Ryder Cup. Should we expect a better outcome on the men's side, or do the Europeans just know something that we clearly just can't figure out? Well, I, I think I think the, the simple answer is the Europeans like each other, and and a lot of our guys don't like each other. You know, I mean, <laughs> it's a team event. There's got to be some continuity in the locker room. Um, you know, you got to be looking at the guy next to you saying, man, I hope, hope he does well and I hope, you know, I hope he's pulling for me too. And I, and listen, I think it's pretty clear with the dynamic of the team that that's not the case in that locker room. I said to you last time I was on, I think Steve Stricker is, is, is almost, I almost feel like he's the sacrificial lamb. Now, I, I looked at the vice captains. I thought it was pretty interesting. You know, I mean, with Davis and, and Freddie there, who are very, very well liked, and Furek, who's well liked, and, and Phil, Phil's a whole other topic, and we, we won't get into that. But those three guys are really, really well liked by the younger guys. Can they sit guys down in the corner and talk to them, and, and can they can they change the attitude in, in a day and a half? I, I don't know. I don't know. I just, you know, I look at that, I look at that whole Dustin Johnson book thing, no good. I look at the book and, and, and Shambo thing, no good. Um, I don't know who on this team actually likes the Shambo. I think I think the only thing that guy that kind of talks to him is Scotty Sheffield a little bit. Like, um, but it's a tough dynamic. And on the other side of the pond, those guys in the European team love each other. I mean, they really do. They don't like each other a lot. So I, I think that's so important in team play, especially when you know, you're playing you know, team matches, not single matches. That's, that's an important part of the dynamic. And I hope I'm wrong, Chris. I hope I'm so wrong, but I don't have a great feeling. So let's expand on a couple of the things that you said. First of all, one of our mutual friends, Michelle Holmes, said out on Twitter that the difference is the European teams, to your point, have better team chemistry. They play many more matches and match play formats than we do. So a single player on the European team has played more match play and has more match play experience than perhaps the entire U.S. team does. 
So is is that an issue? Is being comfortable in that format and the fact that maybe they play way more match play over in Europe than we play here in the U.S. And then you lay, sort of layer on top from a from a men's perspective, we've got six Ryder Cup rookies on this team. Does that really play against us? A lack of experience in match play and then so many rookies on this team. No, I don't think it does. I, I don't think at all. I think listen, you, you, if you can play golf, you can play golf in any format. I, and I don't think format changes your ability to play the game. You know, the thing that wins in match play is the lowest score in each hole. And as a professional, every time you feel up on a golf hole, you're trying to make the lowest score possible on the hole. So, and, and listen, all these guys play matches in the offseason. They play for a lot of their own money. Um, they played match play playing in junior golf. They played match play in club championships as kids. They, I, I don't think that's the issue. I think it just goes back to one thing. It goes back to team chemistry. It goes back to the guy next to you that you really care about and you're going to play your heart out for him or you're not. And, you know, there's, there's other personalities on this team also that aren't exactly personalities. You know, Daniel Berger is, is a little gruff at times and there's a lot going on here. I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of different individuals on this team, you know. Um, it's, it's, I, I think it's strictly a chemistry issue. So speaking of individuals and caring, I want to get your thoughts on Brooks Kepka's, you know, Brooks Kepka, <laughs> he put some comments out there in a recent interview with Golf Magazine where he said, and I'm going to quote now, it's tough. There are times where I'm like, I won my match. I did my job. What do you want from me? I know how to take responsibility for the shots I hit every week. Now somebody else hits a bad shot and left me in a bad spot, and I know this hole is lost. That's new, and you have to change what you think about things. You go from an individual sport all the time to a team sport one week a year. It's so far from my normal routine. I can barely see my personal team. It's hard to even go to the gym. You know, he goes on to say it's, it's maybe it's not in my DNA. This team sports thing. I'm struggling, TP. When I when I read him talking about things like this, which seems to be, and you alluded to this earlier, you know, sort of a me thing, and it's an I, and it's not a team thing. And you know, you want me to get up and go to all these, you know, team meetings. You want me to break up my routine. I like to go back to the room and watch Sports Center and take a nap, but I can't do that. I got to go and be a part of a team meeting or whatever, right? When I hear stuff like that, and I know Strick is going to say all the right things in a conference call or in his interviews because he has to, but if I hear this, Tom, my phone call to Brooks Kepka is, you know what? Stay home. I got four or five other guys that were on the cusp of making this team that are probably dying to be a part of this team. Sounds like you really don't care that much, using what you said a minute ago, caring. I don't know. I have a hard time wanting to have Brooks Kepka now as part of that team, knowing he's coming in. And he's probably sour because he's got to get up at eight o'clock and come to this team meeting instead of going back to his room and, and taking a nap or watching Sports Center. Right, what do you think? Yeah, Chris, we're, we're in Let's do a couple of things here. Let's go one thing. When is when is not playing for your country an absolute honor? When when is when is playing for your country not does not enable you to put everything aside for that one reason if you're playing for your country? That's number one. Number two, let's 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 change one thing on Team USA. Let's interchange and take Steve Stricker out for a second and put Arnold Palmer in that place 
and those comments were made, how do you think that phone call would go between Arnold Palmer and Brooks Koepka? Mm-hmm. Not well. And, and what, what do you think Arnold would say to Brooks? Brooks, you know what? I'm going to make this decision for you. We're going to say you just hurt your wrist again, and you're out because I want you out. And I'm going to call Mr. Stone so he's going to play. So you have a nice time off, Brooks. Bye-bye. That would be the end of that. I mean, that would be the end of that. I mean, that Arnold would not even begin to be able to swallow those comments and, 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 and let him in there. It wouldn't happen. It wouldn't happen. I, I, you know, I tried so hard. I tried so hard because there's so many things I do like about Brooks Kepler and he plays golf. I've tried so hard to like Chris Kepka. I can't, I, I can't like him. I just can't like him. It's it just, he makes it too hard. I mean, I love the way the guy plays the game. I don't like the guy. I just, I can't like the guy. Anybody that doesn't want to, is busting down the door, busting down the door to play for your country, I want no part. Sorry. So how does Captain Patry put together pairing for this kind of thing? And I'm not talking about you know, would you put Brooks with this guy or would you put DJ with that guy? More just from a conceptually. Are you looking to pair guys together that play very similarly? You know, if I'm a straight driver of the golf ball, I put it in the fairway, I put it on the green, and I'm very sort of methodical, but I'm, you know, very accurate. Am I looking to pair two guys that are very similar that way? And then to guys like, you know, whether it's Bryson or... Uh, if Philly Boy were happened to be on this on this team, we know he's not. But a guy that drives it very tr- you know, crooked, but he's used to hitting out of every which lie that he could possibly end up with, and and he's comfortable hitting from those places. Not like Brooks said, you know, oh that guy put me in a bad spot. Now I hate this guy. Um, are you looking for matching styles of game together? Are you looking for a long driver but a really good putter to put together? How do you decide who's putting in these pairings? There were two great things I saw this week, two different interviews. One was a historical interview. I'll get to that in a second. And one was, did you, did you see, Chris, the uh, Butch Harmon interview? I did not. Butch Harmon, uh, Claude Harmon interviewed his father, Butch. And he said, what would you do? He said, I'd put Brooks and Bryson out in the first match. And said, you know what, boys? Go figure it out. Have fun. Bye. He put it together in the first match of the first day. <laughs> Which I thought was I thought it was vintage Butch. I love that. And I probably, you know what? I'd probably do the same thing. Just put him out there and you know, let them let them torture each other to death and get after it. <laughs> just, just get it over with. And then I saw a great thing that Ben Hogan, quote from Ben Hogan to his team, uh, it was actual, it was actually on record. He said, "Boys, I'm going to put the crooked guys together and the straight guys together because you guys know how to play those kind of games. And I'll send you out there." And he said, you know, and he said, and he said, uh, Doug Sanders, if you want to dress like a peacock and you don't want to wear the uniforms, don't wear the uniforms. Just be who you want to be. I thought it was really interesting that Hogan just let those guys do their thing. You know, he goes, you know how to play golf, go play golf. You know, he, he didn't overcoach anybody. Um, <laughs> yeah, but if, if, if you go, and I'm sure you heard the rest of the story, right? The last thing he told them yeah. was, don't make my name be on the losing side on this trophy. Right. Right. <laughs> That's all, Which that's, I love. That's all that matters, right? That's all that matters, right? At the end of the day, that's all that matters. Go win a point. You know? I right. think in 2021, with analytics and stuff, we've gotten so 
you know, just so much over analysis about how do we pair guys, how do we put, you know, listen, guys, who, who wants to play with who? Let's just sit down. Who wants to play with who? How many of you want to play with? That's who you're going to play with. You know, that was always, from, from my perspective, my understanding, and I, I, I'm, I'm talking a little bit off the record here. That was what I was trying to get the president of the You just sit down and said, you know, who do you guys want to play with? You know, who are you comfortable with? And he kind of let them tell him who they wanted to play with. Why did you try to force a parent? You know, I mean, listen, Dustin Johnson does not want to play with Brooks. Brooks doesn't want to play Dustin Johnson. That's, that's on the record. And, and Brooks certainly doesn't want to play with Shambo. So those, those parents are out. Those are over, right? We know Justin Thomas and Keith love each other. You know, you know, let them bunk together and play together. Fine. And then the only guy that seems to talk to Shambo is, is, is Scheffler. That sounds like a no-brainer right there. And then, then, then go from there. You know, I mean, like personalities, probably Harris English and Colin Morikawa. So, I mean, you, you got to have guys that are comfortable out there with each other. That's, that's, I think that's the number one thing you have to look for. Tom, one more before I let you go, and I got to get a playing lesson from you tonight. So when we have done what you were talking about a minute ago with some of these guys, we hit wayward shot, find ourselves in the trees, got to hit a low punch shot to get ourselves out and either just back into play, or maybe we got a shot if we can hit this one low underneath this branch and it'll run up there on the green. How do we pull off that low punch shot? Well, first of all, because, you know, I, I grew up on a really pre-line, very tight golf course as a kid. Um, really tight, really, really tight golf course with a lot of trees on the golf course. So as a kid, you didn't know how to necessarily do it, but you kind of figured it out. So once I started playing a little bit better and got a little bit older and a little bit stronger, one of the things I would do is I'd go out there in the evening and I'd put myself in the tree somewhere and I'd, you know, hit a, hit a low shot with a little hook. I hit a low shot with a little cut around the tree and, and, you know, a shot up high through some branches where there was an opening. I did it by, you know, back then not knowing that mechanically. I did it by visually seeing the shot before I hit it. So the first thing you've got to do You've got to be able to picture the shot you're trying to hit. You've got to have a, a visual of what you're really trying to do. But as far as the low shot's concerned, you know, the most obvious things are you've got to take a lower lofted club than you would normally take. You've got to choke down on the golf club on the handle. And like Harvey Pennick once said, you know, high shot, high finish, low shot, low finish. You've got to cut off the follow through. You've got to change your ball position a little bit and play it back. Um, you've got to keep your lower body a little quieter. Uh, so you don't get out ahead of the shaft and don't add loft to the club. Um, and, and, and you've got to hit that shot under control. And you've got to take the speed down a little bit. Because obviously, anytime you increase speed, you increase spin. If you increase spin, the ball rises. So, you know, you got you to make a very tempoed motion even when you do that, too. And, and guys get in there get nervous and they jump at it. Next thing you know, the, the ball is on the second story. It's hitting a, a, a tree limb somewhere. So there's a lot of little nuances to hitting those shots. Those are some of them. Um, but those are the kind of things, you know, as you know, I was blessed in the 90s to work with a guy named Dallas Ferris, and nobody was more creative than Seve. Um, and, and if you go to, you go to the famous teaching special in the sky called YouTube, there's a lot of Seve video on there hitting, hitting trouble shots. And for the guy out there who wants to learn how to hit those things and has a good visual understanding of golf, it wouldn't be a bad idea to go watch some Seve videos of hitting, him hitting some of those golf shots. 
Tom, before I let you go, remind our listeners now how they can stay up to date with you if you're on your way headed back south. How can they find you and then follow you on social media and on your website? Thanks, Chris. You know, obviously, TomPatry.com is my home, uh, my website, and then, you know, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. Um, I have an, actually have an Instagram live day after tomorrow at 8 o'clock with a, with a really interesting guy named Timmy Chisano. Check that out, if you will. And then, obviously, uh, you know, my, my newsletter comes out four times a year, and you can sign up for my newsletter at my website. Um, but the thing I'm most active on right now is Instagram. Uh, and then the YouTube channel, like you said, has really grown exponentially. Uh, you've got some great content. And then I, I, I don't think you mentioned this, Chris, but I was just asked by Titleist to join 17 other professionals on their website, on their instruction page. I only picked 18 guys nationally, uh, 18, I should say, professionals. There's a female that's on there as well, um, on their website, on their instructional page. And I just filmed um, 15 more videos for them, for their site, which will go... My page is actually live already, but the additional videos will go on sometime in mid-November on Titleist.com. Outstanding stuff as always, TP. I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to come back and be a part of the show. Look forward to catching up with you again in a couple of weeks. In between now and then, my friend, go Red Sox. Chris, with the exception of that last comment, I love you very much. <laughs> and, and, and I hope you have to eat every one of those words. <laughs> every single day for the rest of the winter. God bless you. I know that you do. That's why I love you. Bye-bye. 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 my friend. See ya. That's the great Tom Patry, folks, at TomPatry.com. P-A-T-R-I is the spelling of the last name. So TomPatry.com is his website, and that YouTube channel is absolutely outstanding. He's getting close to 200 video tips that you can go out there, and when you subscribe, you get it for free. So I can't see why you can do it. Tom has got a lot of great uh, videos from the mental side of the game and then takes you all the way from tee to green and help you cut some strokes and hit straighter shots and score better. So check that out and subscribe to it. Looking forward to having Tom back as part of the show here in a couple of weeks.